U.S. men's national team's run in Qatar is over. They fall 3-1 to the Netherlands in heartbreaking fashion, perhaps naive fashion as well. And we have a very special guest on to talk about it with us. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. And Tim, rather than hearing our thoughts, and, and we'll pepper in our thoughts in the interview, we have a, a very special guest joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. We are we are honestly two dumb guys. Let's not let's not kid anybody. <laughs> so we what we had to do was go out and find the most knowledgeable person we could think of when it comes to not only what this U.S. men's national team was able to do and and unable to do as well, but with a sense of historical perspective. And we could find nobody better for that. Uh, it's impossible to find anybody better for that. Uh, than Roger Bennett of Men and Blazers. He will speak, uh, as always, with eloquence, uh, with brutal honesty, and with big picture perspective on a day when it's hard for a lot of us to look at the big picture. Um, He has done so and does so beautifully. Uh, And before we get to that interview, quick word, of course, for ML Rose. Special thanks to them for hosting watch parties for each of the group stage matches. And they had one at their partner restaurant, Von Elrod's, uh, for the round of, of 16 and uh, they have only cemented themselves in our eyes as the place to go for Nashville SC watching, but also for U.S. men's national team watching. Uh, more on the other side, but Roger Bennett is hosting a show alongside his counterpart. It is going to be a Men and Blazers live taping. It is Sunday night. It's tomorrow for those who are listening to you, of course, tonight, uh, 8 p.m. Uh, at the Wild Horse Saloon. And uh, for a not even preview, but for what you can expect basically to hear tomorrow night, uh, maybe just in a little bit longer detail uh, here is uh, really a rewarding and enjoyable um, most of the time enjoyable, except when we were talking about the result uh, conversation <laughs> with Roger Bennett of the men and blazers. Roger Bennett is a British American broadcaster and filmmaker who's best known as half of the men and blazers media network. He developed a love affair with America as a child growing up in England and became an American citizen in 2018. He's written and podcasted extensively about American soccer and culture that includes a 2021 book, Reborn in the USA. He also released a podcast series about the failed 98 World Cup effort, American Fiasco. And leading up to this tournament, he came out with Go Go USA, a podcast series co-hosted by Ted Lasso's Brendan Hunt. Raj will appear at a live Men and Blazers show Sunday night at the Wild Horse, and fans can get $10 <laughs> off Ticketmaster by using the promo code NSCSTM10. Raj, it's a tough day, and I understand you watched it from uh, from our radio booth at, at Geodis Park. So I guess before we get into the darkness of the result and the day, uh, how did you, you know, to the extent you could enjoy this match, enjoy it in Music City? Um, that's a tough question. Is I'd separate those two things. Yeah. First of all, say what a joy it is to be with you gents in your incredible city. What a a bullion, effervescent footballing town this place is. We've been here for 24 hours. It is absolutely beautiful. It's my first time at your stadium. It was a full pitch today of people watching the game on the big screen together. The football community that's been fostered here is really beautiful and heartening and a bullion and wonderful uh, it didn't make anything that happened today feel any better. It's a grotty day. We're taping at five o'clock. So we just finished the Australia-Argentina game. I'm trying to write script for tomorrow night's show. Um, really trying to process what we lived through together. Um, what felt like a day that began with real optimism. Even me, I'm a very negative human being. 
uh, very <laughs> cynical, very dark. Uh, you know, I'm very pessimistic. I felt a real surge of possibility before kickoff. Um, and it went very, very wrong. And it felt bad at the final whistle. And as the smoke clears, it actually feels worse uh, than actually living through the thing. When you think about the factors um, of what we witnessed, what's avoidable, what's not avoidable, what's self-inflicted, what was just chance. Um, so I'm trying to process it as you are, as your listeners probably are. But um, there's worse places to try and process the darkness than Nashville. What a joy mm. it is to wander around and, and try and savor the good stuff in life. Yeah, you, I mean, you're talking about something that uh, went uh, pretty poorly this afternoon. And and obviously you made an entire podcast series about another U.S. effort that went very poorly in 1998. You broke that down in excruciating detail. Did you see any characteristics in this year's team that were kind of maybe following up from the the lack of success in 1998? And was there anything that was fundamentally different? And uh, I guess for uh, you, you mentioned being uh, worth uh, very pessimistic. Is there anything that fans can take optimism from based on oh, what yeah. has changed? Uh, yeah, 1998 was really rock bottom. 1998 was idiocy, naivete. <laughs> What do they say in the um, in Apocalypse Now? We had too much money, too much equipment. Little by little, we went insane. That was 1998. We were high on our own supply. You know, the quote that stands out in there was actually a Lalas quote. It was a different Lalas than the Lalas we see on television today. But um, this was hippie Lalas, and he said, you know, our mindset was 90. We showed the world we could qualify for the World Cup. 94. We showed the world we belonged. 98, we were going to show the world we could win it all. And of course, we crapped the bed and, and scored once and finished rock bottom. This was, I want to be clear, this was by no means 98 in any stretch. They are incomparable. There are some similar themes. Um, I mean, the one is, you know, what what lessons U.S. soccer take from this it, is really fascinating. It's still, to a large degree, they... They benefit from operating in the dark. You know, interest in men's football surges every four years in terms of the national team. Uh, but then it goes quiet and, you know, they get to a point, managers, whatever, fairly without in other nations, there's an outcry or there's a celebration or there's an accountability. Our football culture is still, you know, there's a massive bubble, which we're all members of, all part of, where everything is is debated and agonized over and it's wonderful but in the wider you know the sports center or soccer curious culture they didn't even know greg burhalter was until three weeks ago so whether he was the right manager or not the right manager the decisions um are you know fairly much operate still in a vacuum but this was no 98 the the pain of this is more these players are great these players are talented yeah, you know, Pulisic is a terrific footballer. Tyler Adams has got such a massive future ahead of him after this World Cup. Weston McKinney um, is a very, very good footballer. Um, Brendan Aronson, I think pound for pound, is the best footballer on the men's side in the player pool right now. Um, Gio Reyna, God, poor Gio Reyna, agonised. Uh, well, what I mean, God, talk about what ifs to hang over him. Bringing him on when we're 2 0 down in the second half, kept the game honest, changed the game in the first half. The Netherlands 
wanted us onto them so that they could exploit the space we naively left behind. And my God, seven passes that created trauma, that first goal. Um, and whenever they took the ball off us in their own final third, they were very, very guile-filled in how they dispensed it immediately. They had a plan. The plan was to draw us onto the rocks and let us destroy ourselves and then charge over. But the second half, with Gio and Christian, you saw that they were hacking the ball away. For the first time or game, they couldn't control the game. We were overloading them. Um, so that's the sense of what if. But I'm telling you more than you want to know there. Uh, the sense of what if, really, that hangs over this team is this is a bloody good footballing team. And really, the question is, is round of 16 acceptable for a player pool that's this good? Are we really the 16th best team in the world? And that's fine. And we we should accept that and just say that was great. We had nice moments. We had great moments against the round. We, the England game, very wonderful. Uh, for much of that game, a lovely first half. Is that enough for us? Or should we feel deep disappointment when we crap out again uh, the round of 16 stage? And I'm tending towards the, that feeling that ultimately this is a wonderful group of gents. They allowed us to dream. We did believe. And then they lost. And I, I, we should feel disappointed. Uh, so you brought it up. Uh, the average American, not necessarily the average American soccer fan, is is uh, un uncommitted on on the question of of what has uh, the the manager gotten out of this team? Has he gotten the most out of the team? Where do you stand on this? Having seen the entire body of work over, not just uh, you know the four games of this World Cup, but the the lead up to it as well. What's the actual question? I want. I, I want. Uh, I, you know, you, you said the, the the average the average American doesn't hasn't staked an opinion on on Greg Berhalter hasn't staked an opinion on the player pool. Where do you, I guess, kind of place these things? This is it a situation where we didn't get what we should have gotten out of out of this yeah. World Cup? I mean, I think our glorious soccer bubble has got many many opinions, and there's still a lot about it. And there's obviously two schools. There's probably even three or four schools of thought there's, a, there's been a constant you know the way Greg was appointed set him up behind the mm -hmm. eight ball um, and then how he did depends on that, how you rate the Nations League and the Gold Cup B team achievement in the pantheon of great achievements um, and also the style of how they won some of those things when I mean, you actually looked at the quality of the performances and the progression and the development of the decision making um and then even in this World Cup, there was like a backlash to the backlash. Like a New York magazine used to have that, the backlash to the backlash. And mm -hmm. there were some people like, I had Greg all wrong, but he started people, you know, the CCB thing really made people believe. But the honest truth, when you look big picture um, at this window, the talent at, uh, at our disposal, uh, the performances, they felt like there was, um, they felt like there was slightly chaotic, um, the young squads you really need an old you can have a young squad and we kept singing the praises this is the youngest American squad in the the second youngest squad in the World Cup the youngest squad that's ever played a game youngest first starting 11 that gets you no prizes in world football that's self-inflicted and when you have that um, you need an, you need an old manager uh, you, can, you can have you can have a young squad who've never done it before but you need an old manager you can't have a young squad and a young manager who's never done it before because they look at the manager and they're like, God, we none of us know what we're doing here. 
Um, and I felt a lot of that going into this. And the biggest motif, I think, coming out of this World Cup is the, you know, the, the, the indecision about appointing a captain, the indecision about appointing a, a number one goalkeeper. When it felt really bloody apparent, it felt very apparent that Matt Turner had done everything to make this his job. And then, you know, bizarrely lost lost the role um, to Zach Steffen in a series of big games and never made much sense. Um, and that kind of creates a chaos and that chaos creates an uncertainty. And with a young squad, that's not great. Um, and then you had the striker position more than any that really killed us. And it's not just uh, in this World Cup that our final third clinicality, creativity, uh, smarts were lacking. It really goes all the way back in this cycle, just uh, open casting call for striking talent. There was an erratic decision-making. And I think Greg, I would bet Greg had real reasons for why he did not choose PFOP for reasons probably of culture. And why the Ricardo Pepe thing is baffling, just as the Zach Steffen thing is baffling. I think the Zach Steffen decision, you can make a case as to what it is, although we still don't know. Uh, the, P, the the Ricardo Pepe decision, I have no idea why this kid who was favoured, who bailed us out, bailed us out when we needed him, then went into a slump, but constantly got chances in his slump, constantly, then got himself out of the slump and then was just ditched. Like There's, there's something there that made no sense. And that is a rod to beat a, a manager and then to go into a World Cup and score three goals, one of which was probably not intended. Um, and I've had that just uh, craziness and big picture. Um, why we depended on having an elite striker, uh, trying to find the right striker at a certain point when we have Gio, we have Brendan. Um, and the, the takeaway for me is this was a gentleman that came out of club football, was still so raw in his own career, so raw, so young, Almost came too quickly for him. It was almost cruel. Never really looked like he truly enjoyed the job, mm. Greg. It's a hard, bloody job. It's a merciless job. You know, the, there's a Brazilian manager, I think it was Pereira, that said, uh, being an international manager in Brazil is brutal. There's 250 million Brazilians. And the one thing that unifies them is they all think they know how to do your job better than you do. <laughs> um, and it, it, that's what Greg's been through in a much lighter way in the United States. It didn't look like he would, the crown was easily worn. And um, and that is ultimately this thing that he clung to, his system, his system, his system, his system, is the thing that probably effed him uh, the most because you can have your system at club football. If you don't have the players for your system, you trade for them or you buy them or you, you know, acquire new talent. Um, international teams don't allow you that luxury. And ultimately, good international teams, you get you work out where to put your best footballers on the bloody field together and work out the system for that. And we did that in the second half. <laughs> uh, but too late, we were already in a two-goal right. hole. Mm-hmm. And that's the agony. We were married to a system that ultimately dragged us down. We looked at the talent on this team. A, a greater assembly of talent than, than probably we've had, at least when you look at club affiliation. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. And we said, we said, this is the team that perhaps in our loftiest, loftiest dreams can transform how the world views American soccer. Um, that I don't, I don't think that happened at this World Cup. Tell me if you, if you think I'm wrong. But my question, I guess, is broader, and it's, does that really matter? 
does it matter how the world views American soccer for individual players and contracts they get as a result of being American? Okay, maybe. But but on the whole, is it more important rather how we see ourselves uh, as an American soccer culture? And did this team end up changing that perception in your view? Well, that's a great question Um, because we are fighting both battles. I would say yes, it does matter. I do a podcast with my friend Rory Smith at the New York Times, and he told me that the stakes for this uh, tournament for the U.S. were that there is a stereotype that weighs down our footballers. It is a block to their pathway um, in Europe. And that is that they're still seen in the kind of Brian McBride way of being really solid, good men who perform well, don't cause trouble. That's what you always used to hear about the American player. Didn't, don't cause trouble. Good lads, you know. Um, the championship squad guys. Players. Yeah, good squad players. Blue guys. Um, and And... He said, Rory said, that's changed. You know, the, you look at these US kids, Brendan Aronson, my God, um, Anthony Robinson. You look at um, you look at Weston. These guys are creators. They can hurt teams. They have skill. Um, and he said, if we did well in this World Cup, we could make the stereotype, update it, match the reality. And if we do badly, we'd serve only to reinforce the stereotype. So there is that, but it's not an either or. Because there is also, you know, there is a self-loathing streak in, in American football domestically. What? We all feel it. We feel, <laughs> we feel a deep inferiority. Yeah. I mean, we know that they know that we know that they know that it pisses us off that we are not very good. And the counter is true. They know that we know that they're all laughing at us because the one thing the world loves is football. And we are the world's superpower. And we kick ass at everything. We get the biggest Olympic medal halls. With the world's superpower, we win everything. And the one thing we cannot win, we, you know, our women are back to back world champions. But the one thing we can't win or get anywhere close to winning is the game uh, on the men's side. And the world loves that game and they laugh at us. And so they know that we feel crappy about this whole stupid soccer or football debate. Which, by the way, it's both, even in England. (laughs) But they've realized that when they mock us for saying soccer, um, it really pisses us off and it pisses us off because mm-hmm. we do feel an insecurity. Um, I think we just got to stop feeling an insecurity. I can be quite candid. The American fan base is amazing. The American fan base knows about football as much as the, you know, the English fan base. They're as in- informed, as passionate, as intelligent, as committed. Um, that's the biggest stereotype that's a lead of all bollocks as far as I'm concerned. And um, I do think there's a sense of inferiority that shouldn't be with bloody magic. I honestly sitting here in Nashville, seeing the families today on the field, watching what you built here over the past couple of seasons. You know, speaking to Walker Zimmerman, Dax McCarthy, who's going to do the live show tomorrow. I can't wait to be with him. I love that man. Hearing how he thinks about this city, you know, a gentleman that's played in many cities and so adores the culture you built, traveling across the country as we are. You know, we're going to go to Atlanta on Monday night. That's a delirious place. We've just come from Austin. My God, what a joyous and idiosyncratic footballing wonder that place is. Uh, Philadelphia, right before that, we were in bloody hell. Oh, my God. Those fans, just immense. Um, It's amazing, this nation. And then we had West Coast. I can report back on that when I've done it, if I'm still standing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's immense it's immense what exists here and we just it is the hardest thing to learn to love yourself 
mm-hmm. it's magnificent what you've done, Nashville. Genuinely adore and revere. I was in an empty stadium today, and it felt felt massive and gorgeous and joyous. And and you project that forward, guys. I mean, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Project that forward, and what do you have? You have just a sense of everything that we've dreamed of being possible. You're very proudly a naturalized U.S. citizen. And when you look at this, this American team that that unfortunately didn't find success today, but found success through the first three games, especially you look at guys who are who grew up in Italy, but are, you know, were born in England and, and you know, uh, guys who are who are Jewish guys from Seattle and et cetera, et cetera. You have so many different paths to how guys got their eligibility for this team and how guys yeah. kind of become players for the U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team. Is there a, a certain element of pride that this is a team that increasingly looks like America? It's not a bunch of white guys from St. Louis, as important as white guys from St. Louis might be, that it's, yeah, that that, it's more that, than that. that. That group of white guys from St. Louis were the spine of a team that beat England mm-hmm. in 1950. So God bless those <laughs> white dudes from St. Louis. Um, but the the beginning of the show today, we broadcast the show on Twitch, uh, a sidecast. We had 600,000 fans join us. And uh, we made a toast at the beginning of the thing, which was to... So exactly what you just identified, mm-hmm. Tim, which is um, which is this moment of chaos and division in our in our nation. This team made me so proud. Watching Tyler Adams, just so calm, so humble, um, so intelligent in the press conference. Watching Anthony Robinson, a Scouse American, uh, post a run win, just hugging every player. Again, humility in glory. Really impressive. But above all, as you articulated, this wonderful group of human beings their stories thrill me Matt Turner's story didn't play till he was a a freshman failed a lot on the way to glory tenacity uh personified Eunice Musa just we are we are blessed that that man was born by accident in in New York when his mother was over here dealing with a family problem um Italy to England now to Spain could have played for Italy England Spain Italy, England, the US, Ghana shows us magnificent. Um, watching Anthony Robinson sing the national anthem with such pride and joy moves me. It really bloody moves me. By the way, the one thing I didn't want to be a prick about, but at the beginning when he said <laughs> I'm a British American, I don't consider myself a British American. I just consider myself an American American. And I see Anthony Robinson and I really feel that like a pride, a joy, a sense of wonder. Um, and I do find it a symbol of unity in our nation. Um, no matter what you believe in, no matter where you are, this team can make you feel so bloody proud. Um, and defeat does not change that. Um, and then into a more practical point, because we've got to project forward. I do think um, I do think that there will be more coming. There will be more coming. If you are Balagan watching our impossible task of scoring goals and you're thinking hmm 2026 where's that world cup again oh it's in america the commercial opportunities are what again for a goal scorer in the united states if i sign on to join them oh that sounds you mean i get the chipotle ads the volkswagen ads which other ones do i clean up on and um i I, you know we're laughing about it but footballers and their agents Mm -hmm. that's how they think about um you know, they, there will be several people, I would imagine, across the world who are learning the lyrics of the U.S. National Anthem bloody quickly um, and will want to play on this team in this moment. And it's 
um, we can only grow in strength um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. When I was watching Serginho Dest be the only American to like belt out the national anthem against Iran, there were tears, like literal <laughs> tears coming down. So it's special. And, and thank you for that important clarification too. British American versus American. You speak with great pride and eloquence uh, as an American. And uh, and we are proud to have you as one. Last question, then we'll give you a chance to to plug the show coming up. Uh, so you you have covered with great eloquence for years American soccer as an American. If you were just to put you on the spot, assigning a title to the podcast series of the 2022 U.S. Men's World Cup team, what title would you go with? This, this title, a podcast on this. Um, anything else? Um, <laughs> put you right on the spot. <laughs> no pressure, and we can edit. <laughs> um, God, that's such a it's it is such a great and tantalizing question. Um, I mean, it's probably flickering promise. Um, it really, it really is. I mean, I, I'm right now. I'm in a very forward-looking mood, and I'm I'm thinking, just my God, there's there's just one thousand two hundred eighty-three days um until um until the next world cup um and so that's what i'm thinking but this this world cup ultimately was about delusional optimism in the face of all evidence to the contrary so um it's the, that that's an amazing american quality one which i i really bloody admire and um and i like that i like that very very much um but god it's um Oh, probably fast car is what I would call it. That's going to name the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait to hear it here in probably a couple of years. Uh, so, so tell us quickly about the show. 8 p.m. Wild Horse uh, tomorrow night, Sunday night. And by the way, fans can get $10 off by using the promo code NSCSTM10. What makes you excited to do this show in Nashville and at the time that you're doing it after a very tough loss, but with fans who certainly are feeling your pain? Well, first of all, I need a hug. I think we all do. We need a group <laughs> hug. Let's come together, process together, raise a glass together. I'd love to hear what the audience are thinking, um, which is the joy of doing these. Just revel in everything that is great about this city. Um, England will have just got beat by Senegal as well in the wake, <laughs> so we'll post-mortem that. Um, and we've got you know Chase, uh, Chase Rice uh, coming to be with us. He's proper, proper football. I think he's proper Man City. Um, but loves, loves, loves his football, and I admire that man so much. And to reconnect with my mate Dax McCarty, um, who is so tenacious, such a warrior, arguably could have done with someone like Dax on this squad, just an old head, um, a calm head. Well, he's not that calm, is he? Let's be candid. Um, uh, but, but to have like a another Tim Ream, another kind of grandpa figure on this squad is a thing that always felt like an imbalance but to process everything with Dax uh, both reveling in the Nashville story the Nashville culture the story of your team and to get his thoughts on this moment in American football um, that is the joy and then right afterwards we're going to meet with the audience have a bunch of pints and just be with everybody and I do I think it's a really I mean it's a complicated World Cup in Qatar uh, made a podcast about that world corrupt where we really tried to break that down 
Um, but to make memories, you know, all of us just have a handful of World Cups. That's all we have in our lifetime. We think they're infinite, but they're really not. It's why they're not things to waste. It's probably why most destroy at the moment. Um, but to be able to celebrate, mark and make memories together in Nashville is really, that's really the intent of the entire enterprise. So come and be with us. Come and raise a glass. Come and have a hug. Um, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Cannot wait to raise a glass with you again, folks. $10 off NSC STM10 on Ticketmaster. Roger Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Joy to be with you in your magnificent city. Go, go, USA. Courage. I'm into that. But thanks, guys. Tim, there's so much there to unpack. And in mm-hmm. some ways, we could let this discussion speak for itself. But there were a couple things that I think really, really struck us that we want to talk about on our way on our way out today. Uh, and again, thanks to ML Rose for for its sponsorship of this show and of that interview. And, and the one for me is perhaps unsurprisingly when he totally, you know, very politely slapped me in the face uh, <laughs> or on the wrist for calling him a British American. And he raised his finger when I said that in the yeah. intro, but I didn't want to stop. I didn't know if he was just signaling to his person in the back or what. This guy <laughs> is just testing if it was windy. <laughs> he is full. Exactly. He's full blown American. He is not one of these cases where we're relying on a British voice to tell us about our game. He wanted to be American from the age of three, like as a kid, he has achieved that dream. And he speaks with such grace and eloquence as one of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, People who listen to the interview very closely, uh, but are not having, uh, do not have the privilege to access the video. I, like my voice was cracking at the end of asking him about how important it is, not just to us, but to him that this team is so representative of, of not just a bunch of white guys from St. Louis. Quite <laughs> frankly, it means um, guys, guys who were born in Brooklyn but grew up in Italy, like I mentioned with Eunice Musa, guys who were. Um, you know, the son of the president of a different independent nation um, are are guys who not only can, but want to play for the United States of America. And that, uh, as he mentioned, in, in a potentially fraught time for our country is still something to be proud of. And and the fact that he was naturalized as as an adult and is extremely proudly American is is part of what makes you and I, I think, I, I'm not going to speak for you, Wes, but here I go speaking for you. It's <laughs> part of what makes us love this game yeah. possibly more than we love other sports that we might like for the, the competitive action exactly as much. It's such a beautiful thing that that it's not just America's game, but it is America's game. All of America can appreciate this in a way that is not necessarily the case for other sports. And, um, you know, result aside, it's, it's a beautiful situation where people come together and, and, you know, uh, uh, America against the world can be also a little fraught at times, but Mm -hmm. from a soccer perspective, it it feels beautiful when it's, when it's dudes who come from honestly around the world and and play for the United States. Well, and and when he released American fiasco, he led off that 2018 podcast about the 98 Mm -hmm. world cup not with background info about the team, which he ended up, you know, expounding upon a robust detail, but but about his own American yeah. story. Yeah. And this is in 2018 when I think many of us were at the height of our discouragement with America. Uh, um, and like, we would both say we love our country and we hate some of the things our country has has done. Uh, and we don't want to get too political there, but but at a time yeah. when things were extraordinarily divided, this was somebody coming in and saying that didn't discourage me from wanting to become an American citizen, which he did that same year in 2018. And so to for him to to quote what he quoted actually on the recap show in Men and Blazers today, in that quote fully, he, he mentioned it in a clip of it today. 
was what makes me proud of this in this moment in, in this a time of chaos and division is this young USMNT present a kinetic, tenacious, diverse face of America to the world. They bring hope and have helped unify us in a deeply meaningful way. It's a beautiful story uh, told by somebody who sees the unity above the division, even at a time when we are so incredibly um, torn apart in so many ways. Yeah. And, and it's something where when you think about certain things that you have listened to think like media that you have consumed auditorily. Some of it is just like in one ear out the other, I was commuting to work. I remember where I was when I listened to every episode of American fiasco. And that's why I asked him what about this is, is the same in 2022 versus uh, 1998. And what about this feels different? And he gave such a good answer. Uh, uh, the answer to where I was listening to most of American Fiasco, by the way, was paddleboarding at my grandma's house in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, <laughs> <laughs> the, the summer that it came out in 1998. But that's neither here nor there. It was a go 2018, whatever. It, it was a go-to commute listen for me, I believe. I don't, yeah. I can't remember any. I, I remember turning left onto Charlotte Pike in the most uh, best and most important neighborhood toward ML Rose. Actually, oh, man. One listening to him. Uh, that's that, and it was that. That was the moment of epiphany that, that it was like, this is going to be really special, isn't it? This is yeah. going to be really good, and it is. Raj, everything he he does and says is eloquent. And that, when he says he's going to raise a pint with people after the show, by the way, that's yeah, not, he's not, <laughs> that he's not is, kidding. Not, uh, that is not something he's just saying. <laughs> I went with fellow uh, Golden Goal uh, founder Glenn Judah. Uh, rest in peace, Golden Goal, after your seventh month uh, reign. Um, and and we went to to the restaurant afterward, the non email Rose restaurant afterward, and and they came in and 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 mm-hmm. shook hands and had substantive conversations with people afterward and raised a pint uh, or five, and uh, they they mean it. They really do enjoy connecting. Yeah, and it's something where when he mentioned the the grandfathers of of soccer, including Tim Ream and uh, Dax McCarty, who will be part <laughs> of the part of the taping Sunday night, I was like. My man, you cannot call two people who are younger than me <laughs> grandfathers, cool. dude. You just can't do it. But um, ob- obviously, Raj is older than us, so that's kind of a self-own from his part. But um, <laughs> obviously, obviously, we love we love Tim Ream, and and even more than that, we love Dax. Not just because of what he has been to American soccer, um, both from a guy who is a domestic league lifer, but also a guy who has a few caps with the U.S. Men's National Team, including in Nashville, the city that he now calls home. All of it just kind of comes full circle. And that's, again, part of what makes this game so special. It really is. Um, I'll, I'll close with the a thought that he gave, actually, on the Men and Blazers recap podcast that I was listening to in prep, preparation for this interview. He was talking with his mother uh, in England after this match. And his mom said, it is so difficult to be so emotionally invested in this American soccer team simply because I have a son who is so invested in this soccer team. And and it is great that he is, you know, sharing the fortunes and misfortunes with those he loves. Uh, And, and certainly we hope that, uh, that his mother is one of many who see this team, maybe in this nation, just a little bit differently because of the efforts uh, of this team, even if they fell short in the round of 16. Yeah, and Wes, you, you can't quite relate, uh, but my my parents are both Ohio State grads. Uh, Wes can see that I've got my Michigan shirt, my <laughs> so Michigan much hat on. Blue. Our beloved Wolverines are playing in the uh, Big Ten Championship game uh, tonight against Purdue. Uh, but it's a situa- It's the same sort of thing. My parents are diehard Ohio State fans. Not going to kid anybody here. But they cheer for Michigan when Michigan is not playing Ohio State because I love Michigan. And it's the same sort of thing. They They – kind of through through me love something that they probably wouldn't otherwise have reason to love and Roger's mom loves the United States men's national team probably not when they're playing against England on Black Friday sure but loves the United States men's national team because of his passion for the team and that's something that 
I think can can make us proud, not just of Christian Pulisic, not just of Matt Turner, not just of Yunus Musa, but it can make it's it's something that in times that we're not always proud of our country, we can be proud of too. My mom was a Georgia grad who wears orange, but I think it's a hostage situation because Again, she has three it was, kids who went to UT. It was a championship game situation. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> oh man that hurts all right on that note i gotta get this guy out of here uh, again one more plug for for the show with the wild horse sunday night eight o'clock um it's it's gonna be tremendous you can buy tickets on ticketmaster and again ten dollars off using the promo code nsc stm one zero that's uh, i guess nsc season ticket member 10 is probably what that stands for if that helps you remember it just a little bit better um check it out it, it's gonna be great thanks uh, to raj for joining us and thanks to ml rose as always for the sponsorship and for being a place where, as I get a little a little emotional, honestly, being a place of community, uh, we we don't always remember the final score lines of every one of these matches. Many of you will. I might not. What I will remember is where I watched each of them and who I watched them with and the community that this team helped me connect with. And that is what will ultimately be special even on a day and even in a week where we're going to be really asking a lot of what ifs. What if Pulisic, you know, drains that early chance? Does it change everything? There's so many what ifs in the mac in the micro, but the macro is is beautiful. It is promising, flickering promise, but promise nonetheless. And ML Rose can be the place to take in so many of those special moments moving forward. Uh, Tim, I'll see you at ML Rose in four years for the next World Cup, but I'll see you very soon for our next podcast. Mm-hmm.